1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Paul makes a complete conversion on this issue of the infirmities, a complete reversal And whereas the other time he was saying, get it away, get it away, get it away, now he totally reverses himself and he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake, because when I'm weak, I'm strong. That was a tremendous change for Paul. That was a tremendous reversal Now what happened there with Paul? Paul came to a place where he said, I love the acceptance of God's will. I love the acceptance of God's will. That was a total reverse for him. And that's the key to not letting the bitter waters make our soul bitter. That's the key right there. God has led me to this place of disappointments. Disappointments are God's appointments. He has led me here, and I love to accept where he led me. I love to accept his will. Now, the other purpose that he said that he had for Israel in this when he talked about in Deuteronomy 8.16 is that during these 40 years, he proved them. He proved them. What's that mean? It means that these experiences, the waters, the waters of Mara, they brought out what was really in Israel's heart. They brought out what was in Israel's heart. You know, when you get, let me just say, when a person gets really irritated and then flies off the handle, you know what that is? When you shake the glass, that's what's inside the glass that comes out. And so this is what God wanted to do. He wanted to show them what's really in your heart. I mean, you know, people, the Laodiceans thought to themselves, we are strong believers. Oh, we are so strong. Look at our works and, and so, but their hearts were deceived. How can this be that there was such a disconnect between how the Laodiceans saw themselves and how God saw the Laodiceans? How's that possible? But he says, God says in Revelation 3.15, Revelation 3.15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, I'll, neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Pretty graphic, God's talking about vomit. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with Isol that thou a see. They thought they were spiritually rich. They needed nothing. But God said, no, you're not. How is it, how could they have known the reality of their true state? By the waters of Marah. They could find out by trials. And that was a purpose that God had for Israel. And that's a purpose that God has in our lives. Because it's when we're, when we're really dry and thirsty, that brings out, a yearning for God, that's what David said in Psalm 63. Psalm 63:1, David said, "'O oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. "'My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, "'in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, "'to see thy power and thy glory, "'as I have seen in the sanctuary. "'Because thy love and kindness, it's better than life. "'My lips shall praise thee, thus will I bless thee "'while I live. I'll lift up my hands in thy name. Only when he was in a dry and thirsty land where there was no water, like at Marah, that he could then see the glory and the power of God and praise him. When the Lord Jesus made his invitation, he said, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me. and, 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 and Because whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, in John 4.14, John 4.14, that shall never thirst. But though the water that I shall give him shall be in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And that's what I was trying to say about John seven thirty seven. John seven thirty seven is when he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so he, they, God was teaching Israel that where your soul satisfaction comes from is what it says in Psalm 87, 7. Psalm 87, 7. All my springs are in thee, all my springs are in thee. Now, the other reason that God brought them to Marah, according to Deuteronomy 8.16, Deuteronomy 8.16, it says that he brought them, to, to humble them, to do thee good at thy latter end. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mara was less than 10 miles from Elam, they didn't know that, they didn't know that, but Mara was less than 10 miles from Elam, and Elam was a wonderful place. There were wells of water, cool water, palm trees, green grass, they could stretch out under that grass, which they did, because it says they encamped there. They say, let's just stay here, this is a nice place. But God said, no, we gotta move on, why? Because God gives to us the measure of what he calls in the Bible, times of refreshing, times of refreshing, which come from the Lord and this was all very necessary. But before God brought Israel to Elam, God brought them to Mara, for a couple of reasons. One, so they would appreciate Elam, but two, also to see would they have faith and confidence in God's goodness when they were passing through the Marah period. Elam was coming, and the question was, would Israel hold to the conviction, God is good, God is going to do me good, even as I go through this thirst at disappointment at Marah. And would Israel really believe that, that God had good plans for them when they were in the bitter bondage of Egypt? Would Naomi, would Hannah, would Mordecai, would Job really believe that when they went through their Marah? That's what faith is. But afterward, when they go through it, you could call it a time of chastening, as it says in Hebrews twelve eleven. Hebrews 12, 11. No chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous, Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised. So being led to the bitter waters of Mara was necessary for them. It was necessary for them to be humbled, for them to be, get the pride taken out of them. You know, it reminds me, we lived on the goat ranch over there on Willow Road, and I don't know if you know this, but goats have horns, <laughs> and horns are a bad thing. Horns are a bad thing, they gore each other with the horns, they get caught up in the chain link fence, they hang themselves, they hurt themselves, it's just terrible. So, and once a goat has horns, you should never try to remove the horns on a goat. You can write that down, see? Don't ever get a wire saw that they sell and try to cut off the horns of a goat, because when you do that, you can look right down into the brain of the goat, and that's not a good thing to be able to see the brain of the goat. So when the goats are young, we would dehorn them, before their horns came in. And this was when we would make the fire and put in the dehorning iron until it was red hot. And then we would bring this dehorning iron over to the goats and we would burn the top of their horns where the horns were gonna come in. And that was an ordeal. I mean, it was almost like I wanted to say the goats is gonna be harder on me than you. But oh, the smoke and the burning and the screaming. Uh, that has to go on so that they wouldn't develop horns. It was a very nerve-wracking thing to burn up the horn buds on young goats, but it had to be done. And when God brought Israel to the bitter waters of Marah, it was like a dehorning. It was painful, but it had to be done to humble them and to bring out what was in their hearts so that they could see it, forsake it, and turn to the Lord. So bringing us to the bitter waters of Marah God wants to really see if we really believe that God ultimately has an Elam for us because behind every Mars is an Elam. You know, I'm always amazed when I take, you know, an early morning plane ride from San Diego on a typical early morning day in San Diego in May or June, it's gray, it's, it looks terrible. It's like, oh boy, a day like this, you know, the marine layer socked in the city. It looks really bad. And you think this is this, and it's the cloud cover. And then the jet takes off and it pierces through the clouds and there's this glorious sunshine and I feel like getting on the phone and saying, hey, it's sunny in San Diego. You can't see it. All you need is a jet, <laughs> you know. <laughs> because Mars are temporary and Elims are, are temporary. Mars and Elims, they show us one thing, this up and down, show us, and this is what they were always having to write down in their notebook, and it was Hebrews 13, 14, Hebrews 13, 14. Here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So God brings us times of refreshing, but he let us go through the Mars so that we will learn and get it into our mind. We do not have a continuing city. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. And after Amar, God brings the times of refreshing, as I mentioned in Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19, the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's what Elam represented. And the question is, how do we respond? The question for Israel, how do you respond to Mara? The question for Moses, how do you respond tomorrow? The question for us, how do we respond tomorrow? That's what's important, and that's when you sandwich, when you put those two verses together, 24 and 25, you see the two responses, 24 and 25. 24 is the wrong response. The people murmured against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? God gave Moses and the people a mouth, and God actually had to go over that lesson with Moses at the burning bush when he said, who made the mouth? but he gave to both Israel and to Moses a mouth. And in verse 24, we see the wrong use of the mouth to complain and to murmur against Moses. But in 25, we see the right response, we see the right use of the mouth, which is Moses, he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. See, what's interesting there is when you see how they complained and Moses cried to the Lord. So Moses cries to the Lord, and then God says to Moses, a tree, a tree. Now, was there any way that Moses could have figured that out? Was there any way that the people could have figured out we have to put blood on our doors so we won't be killed, the firstborn won't be killed in Egypt? Is there any way, there was no way for Moses, he could have never figured out that the waters would be made sweet by a tree unless God showed him. God showed him a tree. And can you imagine the people When Moses is saying, well, see that tree, I gotta go cut that tree down and put it in the waters and the waters will become sweet. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, you really expect us to believe that that little tree is gonna make all these bitter waters sweet? Because God brought an unexpected change from bitter to sweet. This was an unexpected change from bitter to sweet. Israel had to be like Moses. Moses trusted and obeyed. Moses heard and did. And that's how the waters were made sweet. Israel was going through a land they didn't know. They didn't have maps. They didn't have a GPS. They didn't have the forder's guide through the wilderness here. They didn't have any of that. And it was important for them as they went through this journey to constantly be praying the prayer of the hymn, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land, I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. And this is an illustration for us as we see this because we cried out to God in our despair and he showed us a tree. It was called a cross. He showed us the tree of the cross. Was there any way that we could have figured that out, that a cross is what we needed to save us from our sins and to make our life go from bitter to sweet? God showed Moses a tree when Abraham was on that mount, Mount Moriah there in Genesis 22, and the angel had stopped him from killing Isaac in verse 12 in Genesis 22:12, 12, when he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know thou fearest God. And then it says that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns, thorns, horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now, Abraham was in that same position as Moses. What are we gonna do? What shall I do? And Abraham looked, and God showed Abraham, the ram is what you should do. Go offer him in the place of Isaac. And Moses said, what shall I do? And God said, the tree is what you should do. And that tree represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why? because Moses walks over to a perfectly good growing tree. And he bends over and he cuts the tree off. And that illustrates for us that the Lord Jesus Christ was the tree. The tree didn't look like it was gonna heal the waters. The Lord Jesus didn't look like he was gonna save anyone, as that was his accusation, save thyself. He, didn't look, he was a root out of a dry ground it says that in Isaiah 53, it's very graphic in his description. In Isaiah 53 three two, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of a dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness, And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Apart from that, he looks like he's a mighty savior. No beauty that anyone should desire him. But there were those who believed God and they looked on him. And as they looked on him and looked on him, they saw beyond his outward appearance. And when they saw beyond his outward appearance, they saw something that others didn't see and they saw John 1, They saw John 1, They saw this was the word that was made flesh. And as we gaze upon him, look on him, we see the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw the glory of God. What happened? as they were looking on the Lord Jesus, God was saying, command, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They saw the glory of God in his face. So the tree is revealed to Moses, just as the cross is revealed to us, Moses goes over to the tree and he cuts it down Just like the Lord Jesus was cut off in Isaiah 53.8, Isaiah 53.8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who is gonna declare his generation because he was cut off out of the land of the living? That's what happened to him. He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Just like that tree was cut off from the land of the living, the Lord Jesus was cut off and it says that in Daniel 9, 26. Daniel 9, 26 says, after three score and 10 years, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And this is what Caiaphas said. He didn't even know what he was saying in John eleven forty nine. In John eleven forty nine, 49, Caiaphas was the high priest, and he being the high priest that same year said unto them, you know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. This spake he not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. One man should die for the people so that the whole nation perish not. Was the tree, what if the tree could talk and the tree could say, No, I'm doing fine over here. Thank you very much. Leave me alone. But Moses would say, But you need to die so that all of these people here can live. And that's what he was willing to do, the Lord Jesus. He was alone, he was cut off so that we all could live eternally and we could be healed from our sins. And then notice how this wording says in verse 25, a tree which when he had cast, cast it into the water. He cast it into the water and the tree healed the waters. You know, he didn't like, well, I'll just set it down here and float it out there. Well, just very gently with it. He throws it. Moses throws it. He throws it. The tree healed the waters. The tree healed the waters. And then the Lord said at the end of verse 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee. The tree healed the waters, but the Lord said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. He's making the connection. That tree is me, is what God is saying. Jehovah Jesus is saying, that tree is me. I am the Lord that healeth thee and he was cast, he heals our souls. He takes the bitterness of our souls out. He replaces it with sweetness. Sweetness, as he gives us the power to repent, to not do the sins that that make it so bad and bitter for us. And as God looks at us, he doesn't see the bitter side of our sins, he sees the sweetness of Christ. He sees us covered with the righteousness of the Lord. And so that's how the Lord makes us, as it says in Ephesians 1.6, Ephesians 1.6, he made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Matthew 17.5, Matthew 17.5, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. What changes the bitter to sweet for us is when we love to accept the will of God. The will of God and the casting there—you can't read a verse like that. That he, the, the tree was cast in the water. To think to yourself, that's how people are placed in hell. They're not placed in hell; they're cast into hell, as it says in Matthew eight twelve. Matthew eight twelve: the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But Isaiah fifty three ten speaks about something like a casting when it says, "It pleased the Lord to bruise him." And he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall be in his hand. What that's saying, it says, if you take his soul, if you take his soul and make his soul an offering for your guilt, this is a little reading. If you make his soul an offering for your guilt, then God's gonna look at you and he's gonna say, that's my seed, that's my child. The one who received me, he shall see his seed. And then God's gonna say, give him eternal life. He shall prolong his days. And then it's gonna say, make him to do the will of God. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So what we've seen so far is that after the Passover, after that great night of salvation, when the angel of the Lord passed over there and they started their journey with God, that Israel had continual needs. And these continual needs were being addressed and met during these 40 years in the wilderness. And after our conversion, we have continual needs. We need to keep our souls nourished daily with the word of God, which was the illustration of the manna. We need to constantly fight the battle against our flesh, which was the illustration of the war with Amalek. And after conversion, we have a continual need for constant healing and cleansing from our sins. By coming again and again to the tree, the cross that makes the bitter sweet, and confess our sins to God, as it says in 1 John 1 8. 1 John 1 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for how you. You brought your people to these bitter waters of Mara, and then, Lord, you showed them a tree, and if they put the cast the tree into the waters, the, trees were, this, the waters were made sweet. The bitter waters were changed. Thank you for doing that in our lives through the cross of the Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.
1: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at Israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at PO box711330, Santee California 92071. That's PO box 711330, Santee, California 92071, or email Tom Cantor,